I've known more people to have COVID in the last two months than I did in the two previous years uh, before then. And today we had confirmation that Canada is indeed in a sixth wave of COVID-19. Canada's top doctor confirmed the latest rise in cases across the country is fueled by the BA2 subvariant of Omicron. Uh, Dr. Teresa Tam, the chief public health officer, says there are a number of factors that are combining to cause rising levels of COVID-19 activity across the country, including the loosening of public health protections, an increase in our in-person contacts, some waning of immunity, of course, the spread of the more transmissible BA2 variant of all likely contributed to the rising levels of infection. Tam says multiple indicator indicators from average daily counts to lab test positivity and wastewater monitoring indicate increasing transmission in recent weeks. Unfortunately, we're now beginning to see rising severity trends as well. While some degree of increased transmission was expected, we are once again reminded that we need to maintain a vaccine plus approach with a layering of precautions to help lower infection rates protect vulnerable populations, and dampen the impact on our health system. Dr. Theresa Tem, all that will come as no surprise to my next guest, who's been one of the leading voices in the medical community about the pandemic's incredible toll on Alberta hospitals and the people who work in them. He, like so many, has had to make difficult decisions as a result of the impact of the pandemic uh, and what it continues to have. So as we enter yet another COVID wave, how will an already exhausted medical community cope and what can the lasting impact on our healthcare system be? Joining me now is Dr. Darren Markland, an intensive care physician uh, and at, in the Department of Critical Care Medicine, a professor rather, or Department of Critical Care Medicine professor of the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry. I'm going to get this right, Dr. Markland. I apologize. <laughs> He's an intensive care physician uh, and a Department of Critical Care Medicine professor in the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry at the University of Alberta. Pardon me for that. Sorry to keep you <laughs> <Okay>. away. <laughs> Sorry most, to keep most you away. physicians would be absolutely ticked off by that, but I don't really float on airs. <laughs> there you go. Listen, we found out today, I think what we already knew, uh, a sixth wave. I think I was reading an article you had talked about the fourth wave, which doesn't seem that long ago. What's your reaction to the sixth wave now? And, and what should we be making of it? Because it feels like the protections are all gone, but somehow the case counts up again. You know, it's funny you ask me that question. Um, I spent a lot of time just trying to figure out the answer to that. You'd think this far out, I would know it. Uh, every wave is different. Uh, and this wave too is different. Um, and I think it's because I'm, different now too. Um, I want to believe just like everybody else has been telling me that this is over. Uh, and so the, you know, spring is coming. I see my friends going out, starting vacations and posting this stuff. And I want to believe that. Um, I've been reading with the heart here, but my brain keeps yelling at me and it's yelling at me that there's some serious repercussions to this action. And, uh, I can accept that um, most of us are going to be okay because most of us are vaccinated. But I can't get this nagging feeling out of my head that this virus uh, will slowly wear us down. And if we don't start to act like this is now a long-term problem, then in three or four years, we're going to see other long-term problems. If we think chronic diseases are a problem now, I think we will see... Uh, levels of diabetes and coronary arterial disease like we've never seen before. We interviewed um, a physician a few weeks ago about long COVID and the challenges of long COVID. And even if only 10% of those with COVID start to display 
symptoms of long COVID, we're going to be in trouble. Now that appears more and more people, I mean, it feels like more and more people are getting COVID these days. Maybe it's just anecdotal, but I'm seeing more positive people testing positive now than I have at any other time in this pandemic, even if the symptoms are relatively mild. How worried are you about that? Well, first of all, you're not wrong, right? There are more people who have gotten infected. In fact, I saw a statistic that 70% of Albertans, the highest in the province, have been affected with the Omicron. Uh, that's startling. Um, and part of the difficulty now about uh, me as a physician coming out with concerns about this is all of a sudden it, it, it attaches almost an emotional burden or blame. I got COVID. I feel horrible about this. And now this doctor is telling me that my life could be changed irrevocably. There's this nidus of control that we lost over this virus over the years because we didn't control it initially. And nobody's willing to, I think, accept that now this is a much more chronic problem that requires ongoing solutions, uh, solutions that are going to change the way that we live our life. And that acceptance right now isn't here. We're really in a state of denial about what this virus will do and how this is a pivotal change in human health. Tell me about that. What will, because I think it's often, and I think erroneously been compared to the seasonal flu. Uh, clearly we're dealing with something very different. Oh, absolutely. This is truly an infectious vasculitis. This is, and vasculitis is in my business, like as, as a nephrologist and an intensive care physician, the worst thing you can have because blood vessels feed all organs. And when blood vessels are damaged, organs are damaged. Where we're really uncertain where the future holds is that there's a disconnect between the severity of illness and the potential long-term complications. We see up to a third of our patients who have been infected with COVID who get discharged come back with complications. And a number up to 12% of them actually die six months later. Uh, we're seeing up to a 40% increase in type 2 diabetes up to six months after this. Diabetes is a disease that I deal with every single day. If unmanaged, it is one of the single largest burdens on the healthcare system. If we increase our rate of diabetes just by 2%, we can see overwhelming pressure on the healthcare system in the long term. But these numbers are, are very scary, frankly. Even within the ICU, though, and you talked about this this week uh, on your social media feed, you're still seeing people dying of COVID. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Look, Omicron is less less pathogenic. Because there's so much of it out there, we are seeing the, the prevalence of the disease is so high that even if there is a lower incidence of bad outcomes, we're seeing a lot of bad outcomes. And we're seeing people, you know, who there's so much disease that, you know, it's kind of like walking through a hailstorm. Yeah, a little bit of hail doesn't hurt you. But, you know, even if you have three umbrellas, if you're getting golf ball stuff coming at you left and right, you're going to get hit. Triple vaccinated patients are coming in. And yes, they're older. And yes, they have medical issues. But they've done all the right things. It's the fact that this is being allowed to spread rampantly like it's not a problem. It's taking people out who have done the right thing out of no fault of their own. One also, and it's different, I gather, in each province, but uh, now that all the protections or mandates are gone, uh, we knew there would be a bit of a jump, but it, it, as far as you could tell, is this is this worse than was expected? And we're just not, I mean, I think Dr. Tam 
almost spoke about it today saying, well, you know, get to keep wearing a mask, get your boosters. I mean, that's not much different from the language we were hearing three months ago. Oh, absolutely. Look, everybody thought they were done and wanted to be, uh, but we knew that was wrong. We knew that was a false, that that was a false prophecy. Uh, We had BAQ coming up rapidly at a time when we decided dispense of all all precautions. It's clearly the wrong thing to do. Other countries did not do that. You know, when you're performing an experiment, you don't change two variables at the same time and expect, you know, that you're going to be able to figure out if the cause was one or the other, we decided to do both. Yes, the virus is much more infectious. Yes, these effects, these these barriers are less effective, but to completely do away with them is still the wrong thing. What are you seeing, though, even in, in a hospital setting about people's willingness to once again go back to where we were 12 months ago, go back to the restrictions, go back to the protections, go back to the mask mandates, go back to the passports, all those things. I think I have to be really careful. Um, As you said, I've been very vocal, but I'm also pretty in tune with my audience. And even the, you know, the, my, the people who are the most rational about these things, the doctors, the physicians, the healthcare professionals, they want this to be over too. I mean, this is, this is mental protection. People need a vacation. People need to get out with their families, need to socially connect. Yes, I'm seeing the consequences of depression and poor mental health and opiate toxicity. Um, people are desperate. They don't want to hear this. And the other problem is that, you know, the next question is, okay, so this is the problem. What are your solutions? Those solutions are less and less um, available. The the idea that vaccines were going to fix this problem, they've 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 reduced the morbidity. They've, they're effectively kind of like risk management, but they haven't gotten us out of the underlying problem. I'm speaking with Darren Markland, Dr. Darren Markland, intensive care physician and a Department of Critical Care Medicine professor in the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry at the University of Alberta. We're talking about uh, the sixth wave of COVID, the impact that we're seeing and where it could lead us, where these rise in COVID cases again may leave us, especially when it comes to uh, chronic health problems. After this, we'll talk a bit more about just the impact it's having on the healthcare system, uh, because Dr. Markland, like so many, has been working nonstop now for the better part of 26 months, uh, and before that too, uh, and just the impact on the healthcare system. We enter another wave. Where does it break, and what do the what are the long term consequences of that? We'll be back with that. Dr. Darren Markland is still with us, an intensive care physician and a Department of Critical Care Medicine professor in the Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry at the University of Alberta. He's speaking to us tonight from Edmonton. Uh, Dr. Markland, just personally, we've talked about this in the past, the impact on health, frontline healthcare workers, especially now that we're entering a sixth wave, it feels like there just hasn't been any real respite for anyone. And, and the impact that must be having uh, is unimaginable. Well, ICU got lucky during the fifth wave. Um, the fifth wave really affected our hospital staff. Uh, ICU wasn't as bad. Um, but yeah, when I'm looking at my internal medicine colleagues, uh, they are incredibly tired. Um, and um, we're, we're having difficulty bringing people into the fold. The other thing that's very disturbing is, you know, people, the, the trainees who are coming through this are, are less excited about the concept of going into these specialties that look after both critically ill and very seriously medical ill patients as well. 
we are having to bring in contract nurses uh, to, to get our shifts covered because um, people who've been with us for a long time, uh, they left, they have not come back. Um, that is, I've never seen that before. That's new. And you made a, a pretty big personal decision um, recently as well about a, about a nephrology clinic that you had. Yeah, well, I'm I'm dual fellowship trained in both nephrology and ICU, and I've been doing nephrology for 20 years. I have a clinic. I've looked after patients for 20 years, um, and it was at a point where, um, after two and a half years, I really had to make a choice. I I talked about this analogy, right? I was so busy in critical care that I was ne- I was neglecting my nephrology practice and. You have to keep up. You have to keep up to, to to standard and up to date on things. And for me, it was like standing on the shore watching a ship slowly sail towards the horizon, and always thinking that, yeah, you know, I'm going to be able to swim out and catch up to that. And then one day, I noticed that that ship had disappeared over the horizon, and it was too late. I had to decide um, to focus my energy on one or the other. And the need was in critical care. Not not that there isn't need in nephrology. My goodness, COVID itself has led to a whole brand new wave of chronic kidney disease. But this is where the shortage in supply was. And so I had to say goodbye to some patients I've looked after for 20 years. I was going to say those who come, you know, you would have seen dialysis and so on. You would have seen the same patients year after year after year. They would come to know you. I mean, you would have, you would have watched them age or survive, or it would have been, I imagine it would have been a very emotional uh, farewell. It was horrible. Um, my, my last clinic, my office staff, bless them, scheduled, you know, the patients that I'd had for the longest people who, you know, I had walked through chronic kidney disease and seen get kidney, you know, transition to dialysis. I put in their dialysis catheters. I watched them get their transplant, seen their transplant fail. I've gone through all of those things with them. I mean, these were the people who they, they brought my latest and greatest, right? And every single one of them was this really hard goodbye. Um, you know, nephrology is a tough specialty, but clinical practice is where you know you get to interact with people it's the humanity that fills your cup so then you can take a drink and go back to war to give that up was really hard um it still affects me it's part of my identity and i I still consider myself a nephrologist but i have decided to put all of my energy into this because i believe that it will continue for a long time how have you managed to just stay level-headed through parts of this. I, I realize that you have your hobbies, um, uh, you bike, uh, but you've managed to keep, sort of try to keep your head above the water through this by trying to reflect on your mental health, I think, as well, through different activities. How have you managed to do that? Because certainly someone who's been under as much strain as you have has something to tell the rest of us as well. well the short version is, I just, the reason I'm a physician is because I want to help people. Um, and I, I mean, that sounds so cliche. I, I interview medical, you know, candidates for medicine all the time. They say that. And uh, we all kind of go, oh, yeah, but what else? But there isn't a what else. You know, I feel the same confusion and anger and disappointment right up until the point where I walk into that room. And that's, that's when my path diverges. Because at that point, I, I see the fear and the concern. And at that point, I want to help. 
you know, I, I have incredible family um, who have provided me insight. I have incredible colleagues who stepped up for me and have honestly told me, you know, that you need you need to pick. Um, and I I do things for myself. I mean, I, I've accidentally become a photographer on Twitter, and just lately we've been we've been you know taking some of my greatest photos and turning them into pieces of art so that we can raise funds for the Ukraine. Uh, I run a coffee club where I just make coffee for strangers in a park every Friday. And um, yeah, I saw that. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. fact, I think one of one of your associates is quite interested in my coffee rig. Uh, yeah. I do all these things for the same reason. I do these to see people smile, to see them relax, to know that you know there's hope uh, in some dark times right now. That there are people who still care. And that's why I do it. And it must be nice to interact with people too in settings other than clinical at times. Oh, desperately. I mean, I think we're, that's what we're all suffering from is separation. So what next now? What, what, where do you see this? We're, we're about to have a, a sixth wave. We think uh, we don't know how bad it will be. Uh, are you bracing for it or do you think, it, or, or does your heart of hearts say this one might be okay? I think this one will be very similar to the fifth wave. I think our hospitals will get hit hard, the ICU not so much. Um, what we will see, however, is progressive pressure on the system from chronic illnesses either being untended, because in Alberta we have a tremendous crisis of primary care, or progressive mental health and uh, substance use, misuse problems. Um, I think that we will start to see higher incidence of chronic disease from chronic viral infections. This is kind of like the new HIV, right? This, this one leaves a mark every time you get it. Um, and, you know, some people get, you know, little bruises and some people get gaping wounds. It's really hard to predict. I don't know. I think the next five years are going to be really pivotal, pivotal, pivotal to how we manage this disease both, you know, from the point of view of how our society is built and structures are made and how we treat it medically. Dr. Darren Marklin, as always, thank you so much for your insight. Always enlightening. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again. Absolutely. You take care.